0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Blow It In. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by my friend and Holston Kiel, under-19 coach, Christian Dorbrich. Christian, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Yeah, thanks for the welcome. I'm really enjoying to be here today.
0: Brilliant. Christian, you're a lot happier
1: than the last time we spoke. I imagine it's great to be back out on the pitch. Yeah, it's, it's huge. So we started training like two weeks ago and we are able to train right now. We were out since the 1st of November here in Germany, and we're not able to train while we were able to to play. And right now, we are gladly back on the pitch and can enjoy what we all enjoy the most, the beautiful game, I think.
0: Of course. And just for people that aren't too aware of yourself, Christian, could you begin just by giving a brief introduction and perhaps where your passion and love for football came about?
1: Yeah, I st- I'm really, really young, so my bi- bi- biography is not that uh, that large right now. I'm 24 years old since January right now, and uh, started playing football obviously in, in the f- when I was four years old, roundabout. So I think 2001 or 2002 I started with the with the beautiful game, and uh, yeah, it was always a passion for me because I started loving the game at the World Cup 2002 some of the memories back then when Germany was in the final of some of my earliest memories. And I started here in, in my hometown in Flensburg and the really north of Germany, the forest north. Yeah. And after all, I played my whole life and started progressing in, in the youth, my hometown club, TSB Flensburg. And someday one of my coaches asked myself if I like to train some of our youth teams. And I was like, yeah okay I'm interested in in tactics I like watching football analysis and so on it's more like a hobby and I was like the guy on FIFA who was always changing the tactics uh, three times in a game so I were really yeah I were curious about it how to be like a coach and I started to train the U13 team at my hometown club and the year after after I did my A level I also trained the U15 team and after all, I went to study in, in Kiel, so in the capital of our federal state here in Schleswig-Holstein. And I was not thinking about going to be a professional coach or something. It was more like I'd like to keep coaching because it was something I really enjoyed and, and keep playing. And first of all, I started to, to study law at uh, the university in Kiel. But in my own time club uh, uh, coach, I was really. It was like a mentor for me at Oskar He said to me, "Just go for it and ask for here if they are searching coaches right now." And I was like, "I think it's not not possible for me to join the club. It's so big, and they're in the second division, and I'm such a small guy with 20 years old, and they never really want to to hire me." but uh, I had a really good dialogue with them after all. And uh, then I started in the U10 team of Fort in 2017, I think, in the summer. And it was amazing for me to work in an academy of a professional club. It was so amazing for me. I quit uh, the law studies and uh, changed for sports science uh, in the summer afterwards. And uh, yeah, I progressed as an assistant coach after that to the U14 team here in Kiel and was really passionate about Tim Walter as he joined our club and his way of playing football. Markus Anfang back then was also really successful. and had something about positional play I really enjoyed because Pep Guardiola obviously was one of my idols since the very first minute. But uh, Tim Walter was really amazing with his new ideas and as a youth 14 coach, I just watched and watched and watched the training sessions of the professionals and. I was the guy with, a, with taking notes on the side always and just spectating. And also Tim noted this, noticed it is that there is a youth coach that watches every training and makes notices. And yeah, I really liked it. And after all, then uh, I had the opportunity from to join as a coach of the United team because Dominic Lavoga, our United coach back then, also noticed noticed me because of my passion about the playing model. And he was also really close to the way of playing from Tim. And he asked me if I'd like to join him. And yeah, it was possible for the club, the club made it made it possible to bring me to the U19. And that was the first year I started as assistant coach in the U19. And after all this year, right now, I'm, I'm joined my former assistant coach, colleague uh, Freddy Cups in the year 17. He's the head coach and I'm now his assistant coach but that was the way so it's from the really young ages of the club to the to the oldest and now the second year in the Bundesliga here.
0: And you talked about Tim Viter there, Christian, as a fourteen year old. What ignited that spark in you? What was it about Tim Viter's method of play or training model that got you going?
1: Now, I think, first of all, about the playing model, I really noticed that there's something special about it at the first game in the second Bundesliga. So you have to imagine Hot here uh, was promoted the year before and had Markus Anfang as a coach, and they did really, really well. So there were a lot of lone players from other clubs, but they did really well, and they were in the relegation against VfL Wolfsburg for the first division and they lost it and after all this uh, was not not good for the club but uh, also Marcus Anfang the coach left and he went to FC Köln so Tim Walter joined and it was like many players followed Marcus Anfang to Köln or searched for new clubs in the higher division because they did so well like Dominik Drexler or Kingsley Schindler the year after so there were key players left the club and Tim as a new coach, never been a professional before, joined from FC Bayern 2, so from the second team of uh, Bayern Munich, <coughs> and yet just a few young players, partly from the, for, uh, the fourth division, and he has to make something happen. And the first game was against the Hamburg West relegated the year before, and it was the first year of the club in the second division, and they're a huge, huge club in Germany. And they played a football that were totally different against them. It was so brave. It was so amazing to watch. They won 3-0 away at Hamburg. And I noticed there is something special. And it progressed over the time as you watch the game of the professionals that there is something special about the way they're playing and how much control and dynamic on the same time is there and how they dominate every in the league every side i i have watched they dominated and try to dominate and yeah tim was really strict and really clear about his way of playing and how he sees football and that was something that i really can uh, yeah I, i really enjoyed because i love it about Guardiola this way of this is my way there are other ways it's okay to play like this but this is my way and I'll think this is the right way and i will play like this no matter what and he did it with players that were everybody said they will get relegated in this year and they were back on top and nearly get promoted again so it's it was amazing and something i'd like to learn from and tim as a guy uh, was really really down to earth so you you can see that he also was not a professional in his career, career back then and uh, he was always like, if you like to know something, just ask. And I had the opportunity, as a U14 assistant coach, with uh, 21 years of age, to just join him in his office and uh, listen to him for one hour and a half, just talking about football and tactics. So it was amazing on the way or on the way he is as a human being and also as a coach.
0: And you mentioned Tim Visor and you mentioned Guardiola countless times there, Christian. What excites you more? Was it the winning itself? Or was it the developments of the players those two guys especially had
1: at their disposal? I think for Tim, it, in, in general, what catched me personally was more the development. So we saw players that everybody said about they're not able to play good football, played football that was incredible. Like everybody in, in the city said, Kenneth Kronheim, our goalkeeper in this time, he was not able to play out from the back. Everybody said that. And Tim was like, he is able to do that and I will teach him and he will do. it. And after a few months, the, the guys in, the, or in the, the audience in the, in the stadium, just said that he's something like a false 10 as a joke. Because he played so well out from the back. It was incredible. And also plays and like the center backs, the movements of the center backs that Tim Walter introduced, like pass and move and running on the, on the pivot position and always has a dynamical way of playing his position and play it was like total football back in the 70s and that's something that really catched me but also about Guardiola because as, as human beings they're really they're really into it what they're doing they they don't make many compromises and I like that because I think it's crucial when you like to guide a team if you are as a coach you make too many compromises you will don't you won't get that what you want to teach the players. And I think if you are like that, like Ariola and also Tim, then the develop, development of the players is always the first step that happens. Like they're going into, into growth, but the winning is just the consequence of that. So it's the just the only and logical consequence of the development of the players when you play like that and be consequent about it.
0: And both Tim Weider and Guardiola by, by this philosophy of fuego the possession positional play. Anyone that follows you on Twitter, of course, Christian knows that you're a key proponent of positional play, but perhaps a lot of the audience listening now won't know or how to even kind of begin to understand them. What exactly is positional play?
1: Positional play is the idea that you have all about being... Aggressive or being in, in not in possession of the ball, but uh, being in charge or in, in being dominant. It's always the search of superiority in every phase of the game. And as you can see, positional play is something that is not really usual culturally in Germany or in England. I think also um, it's more like in, in the Netherlands and also in Spain something that is common for the culture. It's Originally from from the Netherlands and from Johan Cruyff, and the idea is that football is not a about the physical aspects. It's it's more about the brain and about decision making and being clever and use the technique to dominate the opponent and positional play. Uh, so the the word positional play is not really accurate. I think it's more about positioning than about position. So there's I think a really interesting difference. It's something that, like a tactical difference because it's about position yourself and the way that you support the player who's on the ball. And for that, in, in, in general, there's we divided the pitch in zones. And for us, make principles and rules how to uh, go into the zones and uh, have a structure where you can keep the ball properly and also be dominant. Like there is some concepts and positional play to be superior or have a superiority. Like, for example, I think it's one of the classics, uh, the numerical superiority. Like, for example, the opponents plays a four-four-two flat, and is running with two strikers on your first pressing line or on your first line of, of uh, building up. So you pick three players to build up, so you are plus one in the first line, and that's a. America security, your plus one, in the first line, your plus one in the second line, and maybe you pin back the back forward to place. That's one of the concepts. So it's always about having the ball, that's the main, main thing and be active. So and for that, it's just crucial. It's the logical, uh, the logical way to try to have always the ball and possess or be in the zones that you are able to hold the ball. So the ball is not, I think not the objective, but the tool to be dominant and superiority, have a superiority always in every minute of the game.
0: Fantastic. And you just gave us a few examples there, Christian. And um, of course you have numerical superiority, be it plus one in the buildup with the goalkeeper. You can have positional, be it if you look at Manchester City and the two wingers have chalk on their boots uh, for the whole 19 minutes. And then also, you can have qualitative superiority. However, I mean, what does that look like, Christian, to you? How would you go about coaching that?
1: So you mean like in training or? In yeah, in
0: training. Let's take, for instance, a goalkeeper and um,
1: building up the player. What
0: does that look like for hosts from Kiel under 17s?
1: For watching Kiel, especially from the way of thinking that Tim Walter implemented, it's like it's the first attacker. So it's not like his, his duty is just to keep the goal. It's not the goalkeeper. It's more like the goal player. We like to have some guy in the goal, but he needs to be really, yeah, he needs to have a proper technique and be confident about playing with the ball. Uh, because if you have the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper is able to play football, you're always have the numerical severity because the goalkeeper presses the goalkeeper, we say in Germany. so the opponent's goalkeeper is not able to defend properly because he needs to keep his goal. But when you are in charge and you have the ball, you are able to use him as a plus one player. So that's one of the main thinking right, at Holstein here. If the goalkeeper is able to play out from the back, you always have an advantage against your opponent. Sometimes we use a really high goalkeeper in the in back three, like uh, also Christian Tietz did at uh, Hamburger SV but uh, that's the main principle he needs to be confident about it as you can see there is a development also in germany about the goalkeepers really early back then it was just being safe on the line and keep a clean sheet and then mano neuer reformed it in the world cup 2014 with his it's more like a libero. We say in Germany, I think sweeper-keeper is the, the English term yeah. behind the line and tries to defend long balls so you can play with a high line against the ball. And I think what Tim Walter did and also what Guardiola does at Manchester City is the next step with Ederson and at our club with, with Kenneth Cronum under Tim Walter. It's uh, You also have a sweeper-keeper against the ball, so he's able to play when there's a long ball and he's confident and running out of his goal, but he's also the plus one player when you start building up. And I think that's something revolutionary that not every club or every coach is brave enough to do.
0: Fantastic, and then we've spoken before we both think football especially is a game of opposites. Of course, if you're not attacking, you're defending, You've transitioned to attack, transitioned to defence. However, with positional play, also you do have that element of order. These peck Guardiola side, and perhaps that element of chaos. You're looking at a Jurgen Klopp team. Is there any way possible you could feasibly have both in your structure, that order and chaos?
1: I think the main objective of positional play, in my understanding, is to generate chaos at the opponent. So The opponent is is in chaos, he's not able to be in shape with his block, and you like to have a structure to use that, because there are two poles, like you said, order and chaos on the one side, but also stability and instability. These are the two poles, and what you want to do, like Guardiola is really into stability. He's really stable into his, his zonal play and positional play he's uh, really strict about which down has to be occupied in which phase of the game he's really into structure he is really into order and I think because he does that he's able to create chaos at the opponent's line like shifting the opponent to to one side and attacking on the other side that's one of the main objective of Manchester city like they overload one side and play a switch and then there's a one versus one with Sterling or another player like Bernardo Silva who's able to to solve it and use his uh, individual superiority. But there's also another way of playing and that is something that Tim did a lot. It's a lot about dynamical superiority. And you are you need to be really confident about doing it because it can generate chaos in your own line. It disrupts your structure possibly. So you need to be really clear about which movement has to uh, trigger which movement encounter. Like for example, at Holstein Kiel we use dynamics to create chaos on the opponent's line and chaos of them as a main objective to disorganize the opponent. Playing with the center back, who is playing a lateral pass or a back pass and is running to the pivot space. So the striker needs to make a decision to press the the goalkeeper who's in charge with the ball right now who has the ball who's in possession or press or follow the player who's running in his back and that's something that disrupts the order because it's changed things that were i think it, something common in world in football like a center back playing a ball and dropping back that's something that's really usual but if you create something different like running into the back of the striker it's something new and the opponent, the opponent has to think about it how to solve this problem, and it's too late for that. So you generate chaos with these movements, movements, and if you're able to generate chaos at the opponent, but your players know what they are doing, you are in, in structure, you are in stability, you are in order, and the opponents start to be in chaos.
0: You see, then, an extension of that is how each player interprets the same instructions differently be a case in points recently with Manchester City. I've been watching a lot of recently. Seeing Kevin De Bruyne at the weekend playing against West Ham. For me, gave a very indifferent performance compared to what I've seen from the likes of Bernardo Silva, Neil Kai Gundigan in similar positions the last few weeks. Now something which Ricardo Volpe and Juan Malilo, who's now assistant coach to Pep City, talks about an awful lot, is pausa. And he says. First, you move the opposition, and then based on where the opposition move, they make their next decision for you. Is there any coincidence that when we watch City play these days, and you look at the likes of Bernardo Silva, Riyad Maris, and Cancel, it looks like a tree, almost akin to a tree man weave on a basketball court when those three play. As opposed to, you look at West Ham at the weekend, uh, City lost possession an awful lot of time in the attacking phase, looked a little bit more unstable with Kevin De Bruyne. What's the explanation there?
1: Yeah, like you said, I think it's something uh, that is about the, the way players interpreted their roles. So, for example, when you watch Manchester City right now, I think one of the most important or interesting positions or positionings right now is uh, Cancedo. Because of his way, he's playing the right back. Like when they're in possession, they're always going into three in the back and uh, have a really solid build-up and play with, uh, I think, four players in midfield and three strikers because Cancelo is tucking in as a number eight. And I think it's really about how they interpret it and which skill set they are able to to deliver to your team. And I think the skill set of Kevin De Bruyne is quite different to what Bernardo Silva or also Phil Foden or other players between the lines so if they're in the interiors I think that's one of the main aspects about that I think that Kevin De Bruyne has much more free elements than the Bernardo Silva is so maybe Bernardo Silva is more into the uh, the instructions of Pep Guardiola like Kevin De Bruyne so uh, one player can change the dynamic and also the order and stability of your whole team like you said and uh, you have to ask yourself if you're playing with the position of play which player can deliver which skill set in which position. For example, now in the U-17, we always ask ourselves how we can develop the players and which skill set they're going to deliver and how we can bring them in position where they can play their strength. For example, we have a a, a right back who is really good in solving one-versus-one situations offensively. He's also good in the back, so he's really good in, in, in the back, but this is one of his weapons, I think. So we ask ourselves how we are able to use his, his skill set in the back, but also when we are in possession in the last line, because that's one of his strengths and how we are able to set up the team also with using the players' strengths and have a stability that we can cover his movements in, in front of the or going, going in, in, in the attack and how we are able to compensate that. So it, that's it's a really complex question you have to ask yourself about every player in your squad. and which they will bring to the game and also what the opponent will bring with them. So it's a really complex decision-making for us coaches, how we're able to use the strength properly. And sometimes maybe always the the best coaches like Pep Guardiola make a wrong decision. I don't know. I didn't watch the game against West Ham right now, but maybe they're not able to, to, or before that he was not able to make the, the correct decision with the De Bruyne. Maybe he thought that he would bring more stability against West Ham, maybe it's about the opponent. So it's really complex if you analyze your, your team. And if we have something like that, and we see, I would bring another really good player into the squad, but the stability is not right. We ask ourselves how we can bring him in a different position so that he is not uh, bring the stability in general or the order in danger, but also brings the set on the pitch because Kevin De Bruyne is an amazing footballer, so there's a reason why you bring him on the pitch.
0: Exactly. And suppose when you see how, how popular positioning players become, how certain influences, certain figureheads like where they all have redefined the game itself, what does that mean for the 21st century footballer? How does that redefine what we look for
1: in players? Yeah, it's a good question i think if you if you have a squat it's not about the formation anymore so when you were going to plan your squad back then it was like oh this coach like to play 4-4-2 four, four, flat or he's playing with three in the back that's just his thing i think that's not our role anymore it's not about going into and saying for us coaches and say to the to the club uh, I need two wingers and I need two strikers. I need uh, this and this and this. I think it's far more important and also healthier if you go to a club and you see what there is in the squad and you are able to change your formation regarding to what there is in the squad about the skill sets. So like now in the U17, we had a plan we like to play from the last year with United. We had some experience and we had a plan how we like to play. But the squad was totally different than last year. For example, we had last year, we didn't have in the year 19, any good wingers with one versus one capabilities. So we played with uh, a diamond in the midfield and two strikers because it was was fitting for the squad. But the year after we had really good wingers. And also, like I said, the fullback was able to solve situations in one versus one really, really well. So it was our duty to find fitting system just regarding to the formation where we can bring the skill sets into the best possible way. And I think we are right now in a good stability about that before the league was was uh, shut down. But I think that's the duty for coaches in the 21st century, uh, 21st century. I think it's not like it was back before that we are able to dictate what uh, yeah, we need, but on the other side, we should watch what we have and how we can use it the best way. So for example, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool has done the same. It was not like he was going with a system into Liverpool and said, I will do this and this and this. He changed, he adapted to the squad and find new solutions. And I think that's what we need to do.
0: And then elaborate upon that point, Christian, you're quite,
1: you know, you're of
0: course living in Germany quite a hotbed for coaching itself, quite the incubator, so to speak. When you look in the calendar year of 2020, of the top five European leagues, three of them won by German coaches, Klopp at Liverpool, Hansi Flick at Bayern Munich, Tuchel at PSG, with Julian Nagelsmann, then also nominated for the coach of the year. What distinguishes these German coaches, these top German coaches, from the rest of their counterparts?
1: yeah interesting question I think in Germany there's something like a dynasty it's not just about how we coaches are educated here about uh, the licensing of those coaches I think it's more about mentoring so when you take a look at Julian Nagelsmann Julian Nagelsmann started his career as a player and he had contact with Thomas Tuchel Thomas Tuchel was one of his mentors he took him uh, to the the club and uh, hired him as a scout Uh, if I'm correctly informed. And on the other hand, it's the same with Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel was hired by Ralf Ranjek back then, who created together with Helmut Groß RB Leipzig and the way of playing at RB Leipzig. So there's something that there were really smart coaches back then, and there are coaches today who are in the same line with these coaches. For example, Jürgen Klopp had a great profit also from from his ideas but also uh, from his coach at Mainz 05 as he was a player so uh, he really learned a lot there and the same is with Hansi Flick who i think learned a lot from Pep Guardiola and his way of playing as he was uh, assistant coach of the national team so there's something like dynasties and coaches that were really curious about the way other coaches work and as you can see Tim Walter at Holstein Kiel he's also more or less in the line of Pep Guardiola because he was the second coach and Bayern uh, Guardiola left, uh, I think a year before, but he was in the, in the YALF with the U17 as Guardiola was the first in the first team. So Eric Ten Hag was in the second team and Tim Walter was, I think, the U17 coach. And he learned a lot from him. He also took rules in the Rondo from Pep Guardiola and implemented them at Holstein Kiel. And his way of training was the same because uh, he He just played. It was not like you were do many tactical stuff on on like playing 11 against zero or something. It was all about playing forms, about complex forms, about rondos. So there's several lines in Germany where coaches today learned a lot from. And I think the internet fueled that curiosity of of the, the coaches, because you can always watch different teams. And I think many German coaches did that really early. And I think it, like, that Pep Guardiola was a coach here was something like a uh, really uh, development for the whole country in general because many coaches uh, picked him as his idol and were inspired by his ideas and also colleagues and other coaches in the league were inspired by him. So it gave Germany in general a huge push that he was here and Jurgen Club at the same time. So if you have a, a look at Thomas Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel started to play uh, a really similar football to Jürgen Klopp as he started as a coach in Mainz. And after he met to dinner with Pep Guardiola after a league game, he copied positional play and he understood it really into the depth. And yeah, I think it's amazing to see that. And it's more like... A, a, organic process than just about coaches education because the coaches education in Germany is not that different to other countries.
0: Yeah. And then just elaborate upon Thomas Tuchel you've seen of course he's taken on a new challenge at Chelsea and I know in the past he's worked with copious resources at the likes of Paris Saint-Germain versus Dortmund, to but however getting back to the beginning of his career at Mainz at least in a professional sense we looked there, he was almost constrained by the resources he had at hand. So to the fact he could put into to, I can't really find the right words or the correct terminology. He could put in his practice of positional play a lot easier at once compared to Chelsea, where of course, you know he's kind of weighed down by 75 million pounds price tag and place of Kai Havertz, CFT have Werner, Hakim Ziyech, all expensive additions. If you were Thomas Tuchel, and if you were hell on implementing this style of positional play, which he already has, what steps would you take to integrate that array of expensive talent into that structure?
1: I think it's a hard question because I'm not Thomas Tuchel, but um, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think you have some players who were in, a, uh, in teams who also practice positional play. For example Kai Havertz he joined from Leverkusen there's Peter Bosch he came from Ajax Amsterdam it's a typical position of play club right now under Peter Bosch the same with Timo Werner Timo Werner he was back at Leipzig where Julian Nagelsmann was his coach and find a new role for him more in, into the, the, the number 10th space and I think he's also yes he, he knows how to practice position of play he knows some principles Maybe implicit and not explicit, so he's not able to verbalize it, but maybe I think he knows. The same with Hakim Siech joined from Ajax. So you have a few players that always, or, or back then, practice positional play. I think that makes it a lot easier because the players know uh, what you are trying to say to them and what's your way of thinking the football. And if I would be Thomas Tuchel, you have to integrate this talent, that's right, but... You also can build on uh, the experience from those players and i think it's really hard to implement all these these talents so find a structure and maybe new roles but i think that's something that Thomas Sokol did back then he was able to find new roles for players and uh, change their game completely and he was also able to find new talent so maybe there will also be some new talents that nobody has on their list right now so if you take a look at, at uh, yeah, I think Dortmund, uh, as he was there, he just picked up Julian Weigel from uh, the second division team and made him one of the best pivots in the league. I think also at Chelsea, something like this can happen because maybe it's Billy Gilmore, I don't know. But he will find also players that fit into his model and he's really uh, consequent about his way of thinking football. So he will find a way to integrate those players that... Fit his style and also um, bring something different to the team but he is also somebody i think who will just be consequent about players who are not and that's something you you need to it's the decision in the beginning you need to learn which player is able and also yeah i think willing to go your way and you need to know who's not and it's the same process, a process like Guardiola did as he joined Barcelona's first team, and he said, "I have so many many talents here, like Onadinho, Ito, I have Deco," and he said, uh, "These are really good players, no doubt about that, but I need to make a change and find also new talents to play like I like to play." And it will be the, I think a similar process at Chelsea with Thomas Tuchel if he's if you give him time.
0: So your advice would be for Chelsea fans to remain patient?
1: Of course. I think that's one of the most important aspects in general about coaches. Like We have now, right now in Germany, I don't know if it's in in the English media, but uh, we have Bielefeld. Bielefeld uh, got uh, relegated from the second division and uh, they had a a coach there. He's a bit older, but he's also, uh, I think in the spirit, partly of the position of play, he did a really good job. But right now he was sacked, even though he's not on the relegation plays with his team right now. It's a really small club, but they said we need a new impulse. Most of the time, like if you watch Freiburg with Christian Streich here or Arsene Wenger with Arsenal, it's good to be patient about the way of playing styles and if you are convinced about the coach to give him time. I think that's one of the most important aspects. If you watch Arsenal right now. Everybody said Wenger out, and right now I think the club is not in a better position than he than they were as Wenger was the coach. So be patient. Be patient about good coaches.
0: And then looking back at the team that beat two the PSG to the Champions League trophy last August, Bayern Munich. In your opinion, where does that Bayern Munich side on their handsly flick the treble winners from last season rank? In terms of Europe's elite over the past decade, perhaps
1: surely they're up there. I think it's it's hard to say because of the pandemic. I think it's not not you're not able to compare them to other teams before because of that really really special situation in general. You need you know the the German uh, teams started training earlier than other sides in Europe did that's it's important to know I don't like to say that Hansi Flick didn't make an amazing job he's an amazing coach but I think it's hard to compare so but if you take a look at how they played and with what intensity they played it was something like a hybrid between something that Guardiola did at Bayern and something Jurgen Klopp did at, uh, at Dortmund and I think you can see that influence also in, G- in the german national team as hansi flick was assistant coach there uh, till we won the world cup in 2014 it was really similar and hansi flick i think he's really amazing about understanding the, the best parts of uh i think those two lines of coaches in germany like Guardiola and jurgen club so mm. those two schools, and he made a hybrid and on the other side he Uh, is really good into man management so he knows how to set up somebody like Thomas Müller with this great passion and uh, the way he took responsibility for the whole team that's amazing and hard to compare to other teams but uh, those this Bayern team of course was one of the best teams in the last century but I think it's hard to compare to something like Barcelona in their prime or I don't know also Barcelona under Luis Enrique or Real Madrid in their prime. It's hard to compare because of the the pandemic, in my opinion.
0: Of course. And then you see the Bundesliga this season, of course, Red Bull Leipzig under Julian Nagelsmann really pushing them to the hilt. There's only a point between both teams now. One team, however, that's always on everybody's minds is Borussia Dortmund. And they're quite fair behind this season, having sacked coach Lucien Freiburg. What impact do you believe both Marco Rosa and René Merch can make next season, but hopefully to the the reintroduction of fans to German football? Can you see the the gap narrowing there between both Bayern and Dortmund?
1: Yeah, I have a a really good opinion of of both, of uh, René Maric and also of uh, Marco Rosa. I think this team is one of the most interesting teams in German football. Um, And I think right now, To the decision to go to Borussia Dortmund is one of the best decisions you can make. I think Borussia Mönchengladbach, where they're right now, is also a huge club and They did a really good job, but Dortmund is also also something different. I think it's a lot larger and you have different possibilities. I partly really liked how they played under Lucien Favre and uh, I was really Yeah, surprised that they sacked Lucien Favre because I think most of the time he did a great job and because it's not that easy to be that constant about this amount of time. But right now, I think that the decision to hire Marco Rose and also René Maric is one of the best decisions Dortmund can make because they are one of the most interesting trainers. They also, especially René Maric, is really into positional play. As you can see, Marco Rose was also a player back then in Mainz and he is uh, started at Red Bull also as a coach and uh, won the UEFA Youth League. So he's more from the thinking, in, in my opinion, more on the side of Jurgen Klopp and Rene Maric is more on the side of Guardiola or in between. So it's, it's great. It's, it's just, yeah, like uh, also a hybrid of these two arts of playing these two German ways that established in the, in the last years. And it can be really interesting to see the next season's how Bruce Dortmund is able to compare with these two coaches on the, on the bench against uh, Bayern Munich.
0: Exactly. And even, I think you reflect upon last season at the fall of of Gladbach, they played some of the best football in Europe in my eyes. And it was the perfect kind of combination between both schools. The two guys have not come from Red Bull. You had that kind of pressing, that aggressive gig and pressing. Or also, you had control possession play, and with players like Dennis Sakaria, Marcus Thuram, uh, Randy Benziani. It's just going to be, it's going to be a perfect marriage. I won hopes with those two going to Dortmund to see what other players they can possibly improve. And overall, I mean, how do you, how do you foresee that going? Do you believe it's exciting times ahead? For Dortmund fans, of course, we talk about Lucien Favre. who's more of the type of controlled possession. Marco Rosa, and Merch, they both are more on kind of the old days of Klotz, gig, and pressing. What do you see occurring at Dortmund?
1: Yeah, I think, in my opinion, it's hard to, to predict, but in my opinion, to be coach at Dortmund is also Or always something different like Thomas Tuchel back then as he joined Dortmund he changed his game to positional play because and that's the simple truth many German teams are not really glad about playing against Dortmund obviously and they are going to stay back always stay back and drop drop back and try to be really low with their block so if you are like to play around these blocks you need to be good at positional play and if you are the coach of Gladbach it's something different because some teams like to decide oh, we can press higher we we are able to maybe join the play and try to compete if you play against the open as a small club or a small club that's not usual so maybe they need to change their game a bit more on, on dominance more on possession more on, on also on passion or, or I think it's it's more about being really controlled and maybe it will be a bit less dynamic than right now in Gladbach and more about control but I think most of the elements that they show right now at Gladbach will also be seen at Dortmund um, because it's, it's quite the same football is not that difficult and not that complex but I think they need to adapt a, a bit and if the Dortmund fans also give them time the same like with Thomas Tuchel, um, they will see great results. I think I'm really convinced about that.
0: And then you have coaches as well, Christian, like the likes of René Merch, uh, who takes a lot of influence from basketball. Uh, Pec Guardiola takes a lot of influence from chess. Well, according to Marty Perno at least. So, I mean, is there any other sports or perhaps any pastimes which you take influence from and adopt to your coaching practices?
1: Yeah, we also used elements from basketball because it's the position of play was originally developed there or is more integrated into the game than it's usual in football. Um, as I was younger, as I was a, a, a coach in my hometown club, I sometimes watched uh, Ultimate Frisbee. I don't know if you know. Yeah. yeah. Ultimate frisbee also have a kind of position of play. It's a bit different because you have no sideline and uh, but it's really, interesting to watch because there are similarities between how you organize around the, the Frisbee, like it's uh, how you organize around the ball. And also really interesting, the same thing about hockey. If you watch hockey, it's quite similar to some principles in football. So if you know, I don't know Bernard Peters, he was at Hoffenheim and Fau, He's one of the most influential German uh, hockey coaches and joined football. He wrote a book with uh, Andreas Schumacher from Stuttgart about two versus one in in, when you are offensive and it's the same principles like in hockey. It's really interesting because Andreas Schumacher, is from football, Bernard Peters, is from from hockey originally. They find similarities and there are some essential truths or universal truths between both both, uh, sports that uh, you can share. Like it's one of the most important aspects that your players are able to solve a two versus one situation. It's not about always about have a feeling for the space, but also how they can create something out of that space. It's one thing to be in that space and get the ball there, but it's the second thing to solve the situation and it's the same like in hockey, the same principle. It's like dribbling towards one player to, to, to pin him and play the pass the progressive pass and how uh, the player on the other side has to move uh, or moving in the back or something. It's quite similar. So that's, it's an inspiration. I think frisbee and hockey that's worth watching. It's worth watching for for football coaches. I really enjoyed it. And uh, also about the training it's worth watching because some sports are more progressive about uh, the way they train than football is. You know, football is in Germany, especially, I don't know how it's in England, but it's also about, or really about, uh, these thinking of. We try to divide the game into uh, every specific uh, element, like the
0: isolation. Yeah,
1: isolation of, of, I don't know, passing drills or isolation of shooting drills. Um, it's not that effective. And if you watch other sports, they don't try to isolate situations, but they're more wholesome. They think about the game as a, as a dynamic and as a whole, like it's usual in Barcelona and in Ajax. Um, then we do, do it in general in football. So it's worth watching and try to get inspiration from that. It's, it's like, really interesting. Really, yeah, really insightful. I think Tim Walter did the same. I think he's also not like the guy who is dividing things into parts. He's also more about saying or arguing that in in football, Thomas Tuchel is the same by the way. In football, there is no situation like the other. And it's not useful to try to always repeat one situation all the time because maybe it will happen once. Maybe it will happen no time of the game and you are wasting time. So just try to create as many as possible situations for your players, as many as possible. So like Nagelsmann, he's always overloading the the minds of his players with huge, huge amount of uh, signals like auditive or vocally, or he's, I don't know, he's trying to change directions and the players always need to think, think, think and always get new situations so they uh, experience a lot of situations and if they are in the right situations right now they experience so many situations they're able to choose from this experience and get the, the right decision and not just always one situation they did 10,000 times it's not the right way in my opinion
0: it's really insightful question um, <laughs> I certainly wasn't expecting any <laughs> an ultimate frisbee getting a mention in football podcast but um you know haven't haven't studied youth football in Iceland, that being another quirk. But anyways, the one thing I noticed about Icelandic clubs is they're all paired with a wider multi-sport branch. So these aren't just football clubs, they're basketball clubs, they're handball clubs, they're judo clubs, they're wrestling clubs. They're absolutely everything to the community. And you've seen the likes, of course, in South America over the years. Do you see clubs in Germany and Europe over the coming decade or decades? become a more multidisciplinary in their approach in terms of the wide range of sports available to players. We've seen it in the past, of course, with the likes of Petr Cech growing up in Czechoslovakia who played anything on seven or eight sports. We see it in tennis. Andrew Federer growing up in Switzerland played six or seven. How, in your eyes, do you see that approach being more beneficial to players?
1: I think it's quite beneficial for every young player to do more than one sport. I think the science says the same. So it's obviously the right way. If you only do one sport, it's the same like if you're doing one drill all the time. Young players need experiences and they need to understand or if they like to understand the game, they need to understand different games also. That's why Pep Guardiola plays chess because he likes to understand the game really into the depth but for the players it's the same they need to make experiences all the time and if you just try to always just play football it's not healthy for them it's like for example if you're in a at work and you are just doing all the, all day all the same stuff you're just doing the same it's monotony it's not healthy it's not good and in, in this case, I think it's our duty as coaches, especially for younger players, to make it happen that they do different sports and understand these sports, understand concepts from the sport, and also have different ways of moving themselves so they don't get injured. That that first there are lots of studies that uh, said that if young players just do one sport, they have more injuries when they get older. Um, they because of the same way of running all the time the sport they need to quit their career earlier because it's always the same movements. i think if they do different movements when they're young it's just beneficial and we need to be braver to pick some time of our football uh, training and give it for the kids and also for the the young players to do different things than just playing football it will not uh, do any damage in my opinion so I always, always be uh, always have been uh, somebody who said just pick one training day per week and do different sports with the, the boys. Why not? I don't think that there will be any damage to them if they play half an hour handball and half an hour they play basketball and half an hour. They play, I don't know, he (laughs) made frisbee. You know, It's. uh, I don't know that they just will get new experiences and uh, be able to understand it. And for the rest of the time, they, they are quite addicted to football. If you look at academy players, they get addicted to football. They love it to be on the pitch. In their free time, they're going to the pitch. We had many players who came to us and said, I have an injury or something like that. It's not that bad, but I was kicking after we played 90 minutes in Bundesliga because they are addicted. So give them some other sports and other ways of thinking the game and other experiences and just be frightened about it. Be brave.
0: And know ultimately, what does the future hold for you, Christian Dobrik? What is your future ambition?
1: Yeah, good question. I think it's, I just foresee the future in general in football. Maybe it, it will go out really well, maybe not. I you know football is a, a, a general a business and a game that's uh, really short-living. But for me personally, I'd like to progress and make a development as a coach as I did the last years. I think it did or gone really well, and I'm always curious about new things, about new ways of thinking the game, uh, learn, learn, learn. I think that's one of the most important aspects as a coach. And I don't know, sometimes you need fresh air or maybe also a, a new club or a new way of thinking to progress yourself as a personality and learn new things. But when I look 20 years ahead, obviously my goals to be a Bundesliga coach sometimes or someday. But, you know, it's hard to plan. So, for me, it's living in the moment, try to learn as much as I can and try to do my job as best as I can. And if I do my things well and uh, the duties I have well and help my players to get professionals and try to do the best for them, I think quality always will be noticed and someday it maybe will work out. So. I do. i If I fulfil my obligations every day, I don't need to worry about the future.
0: I think. That's a Christian. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, totally, I eye-opening conversation for myself. Very insightful. Uh, I'm very sure I'll be listening to this podcast again. But where's best for anyone to reach out to you on social media?
1: Sorry, how's not Understand because of the internet. <laughs>
0: I think it's my accent. Uh, Where's best for people
1: to contact you in social media? I didn't understand the second time, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know, it's maybe my connection.
0: Where's best for people to contact you, Christian?
1: Ah, where it's best to contact me. Ah, uh, I think the best way to contact me is maybe about my, my Twitter account or about my agency or uh, to, uh, if you like to reach me directly, it's about my Twitter account. If you like to uh, speak about jobs or something, it's more about my age. But uh, yeah, in general, that's the, the, the way of talking to me. Or yeah, if you like to speak about about football with me, try to contact me about Twitter. But in general, you know, lots of people wrote me at Twitter, and I'm really thankful about that. I really enjoyed it because as we or in general spoke at twitter last year I, I posted some videos it was amazing so many people could try to contact me and it was like more than 100 uh, messages in my in my box at twitter it was hard to answer everybody i most of the time i read the the direct messages but i'm not just from time i'm not able to answer everything i hope that people don't uh, Be angry about it.
0: (laughs) Christian, absolute pleasure as always. Top man. Thank you. Thanks.